put me in Chelsea on our investment deck. It still lingers, for sure. I think I was a bit nervous at first that it might seem a bit stereotypical. I think a lot of people come off reality TV and then just create businesses. And why wouldn't you? It makes sense too, but I sort of didn't want it to just be another business that... But then nobody's business is another business because there have been some that are unbelievably successful off the back of reality TV and not just made in Chelsea across the board. But I wanted people to take me seriously and I think there might be a misconception that reality TV founders put, stick their name on it and then don't put the hours in. Unfortunately, my name is nowhere near big enough to do that. My God, I wish it was. I wish I could just whack Eliza Ratton on it and then just could lie back, put my hands behind my head and relax. But no, I'm there um, in the office all day, every day. It's a full-time job and some. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. The ambition of the podcast is to show relatable stories from young entrepreneurs doing some incredible things to inspire the next generation, including you listening wherever you are. We've been doing this podcast for over three years and the ambition has not changed. The only thing that has changed is the scale of where we want to go. We want to bring on bigger guests for you guys to show more and more relatable stories from young entrepreneurs across the world. The majority of you guys watching or listening haven't subscribed to the podcast yet. All you have to do is click that subscribe button wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, wherever. And that will allow us to bring on bigger guests and ask the questions that you really want to hear. And it really is that simple. My name is Sina Sadzadeh. Thank you so much for clicking on the podcast and enjoy the episode. Eliza, Hi. welcome. How are you? Very well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very, very well, thanks. Getting up to grips with this. Um, but it's been a while since we spoke last time. I think it's been like a, a year Over so. a year. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was summer. Yeah, maybe. But we've, we've, I guess like both, you know, I've recorded more episodes. You've obviously like matured on, on the circle. Aged. So, <laughs> aged, Yeah. So like, what's, what's new on, on the business? Gosh, well, last time we spoke, it was really early days. I think we had launched two months before. I think we spoke August, September time, and we had launched in May. So it was very, very premature. Um, so we've moved three offices since then. Um, I've got six more team members, and we've since loaded about 25,000 items. So a lot. Um, I should probably introduce the circle in case people yeah, didn't yeah, watch yeah. Go ahead. last episodes. Um, so I'm a co-founder of the circle, which is a resale platform for women's wear. And you can sell through us or shop from us. And our main aim is to convert more people to shopping secondhand by elevating the online consumer experience to feel like you're shopping new. And we, if you go on our website, you can see that we do that with models and professional photography. And it feels really elevated and luxe. So hopefully alleviates a barrier or some of the barriers are there for secondhand shopping and we make selling totally hassle-free in order to try and unlock uh clothes from people's wardrobes how did you like get into it for the in the first place because i know we talked about it last time but i guess to provide more context i've always been a secondhand shopper um actually because i'm a bit of a magpie and i wanted to access brands i couldn't actually afford um, so it was more from an economical standpoint getting into secondhand initially and i used to sell on depop so i've sold two and a half thousand items on Depop. It was my money-making thing at university, a uh, little side hustle. So I've always been into it, but more really from a sort of, it makes sense financially. And it was the sustainability bit that came after upon more research. Um, and I sort of fell into it because after I'd graduated university, I wanted to educate my growing audience on Instagram that shopping secondhand can be really fun and luxe and it's not just 
eBay trawling um, or charity shopping. And so I was going around all these lovely boutiques in London and sort of in the South East England. And I started a series called Secondhand Saturday. And that was where my now co-founder found me. And he had a business idea and he said, I think you'd be good to start it with. Mm. And at that point in time, I guess like you, you, you went away from Made in Chelsea, you weren't doing that anymore. Were you sort of like looking for something to to put your energy into? Obviously doing that series, but I guess like, did this seem like a good evolution from that? Yeah, I mean, I had no plans. Uh, it sort of all just happened. Uh, I did Made in Chelsea during my second year of uni up at Durham. Uh, so I was yo-yoing back and forth to London for a year. And I loved television. I loved being on television. I loved the do, sort of, I don't mind the camera. Um, and I guess I wanted to use my degree as well. Um, and actually, I, I wanted to go into documentary making initially. So I did a master's in TV journalism with the thought process of going that oh, direction. And actually, because I'd grown a bit of a following and Instagram can be really lucrative, after I graduated my master's, I said, right, I'm going to give myself a year of full-time influencing, content creating, whatever you want to name it. And within probably two months, I was finding it really not, I wasn't feeling very inspired. I was very lonely. All of my friends that had graduated uni had commutes and colleagues and work events. And that all seemed... Yeah, yeah. The grass is always greener. They were looking at me chilling on a Tuesday morning and probably feeling quite envious. And I was looking at them getting dressed up at 8 a.m. to go on their commute yeah, and feeling yeah. jealous. So it was a funny one. I actually then started um, combining my CV with the intention of pinging it out to journalism outlets. And at lunch, I'd sat down. I was sitting with my co- with my co-founder. No, sorry. At lunch, I was sitting with my housemate and I said, right, I've spent all morning updating my CV. I'm ready to go, ready to fire out, ready for the humbling experience, getting a million no's, but hustle, hustle, hustle. And I was sitting at lunch and I saw an email pop through from my now co-founder saying, I've got an idea. I think you'd be good to start it with. Can we chat? So I actually never sent my CV anywhere, except to him. I said, look, yeah. I've spent all morning updating it. You might as well take a look at it. Um, it's quite so it was funny. very, very... So, um, weird timing yeah i was gonna say when when you're in that position where you're doing something that's maybe slightly against the grain and not not what everyone else is doing you kind of feel like you're not being productive because you're not doing what they're doing totally um my secondhand saturday series on instagram was sort of free work so i would spend a day going to a different boutique filming it uh posting it on my instagram really taking like nurturing this series, but not making really anything in return. Yeah. Some boutiques very kindly gave me a voucher as a thanks for the promo. But I knew that it was something I was passionate about. I hate that word. You're always told not to use it in CVs, personal statements, the like, but it, it, it's most yeah. accurate. It was something I loved doing. I had such, found such joy with it. I felt it was really important. And I didn't know where it would lead me, but I'd say that would be one bit of advice if you've got the time, if there's something you know you enjoy, and it could become fruitful later down the line, invest the time into it just on the side. Um, it also adds something interesting to you. It means that if you then get the opportunity to go into it, you've got something to show for it. So yeah. When you, when you did Made in Chelsea, did you feel like after your life would sort of be, I guess set because you, you've been on television, a very good television show as well, I might add. 
And it's like, did you feel like, given that you wanted to go down the influencer route, mm. did you feel like, yeah, I, I'm going to do this, then my life's sort of set from there on in? Not at all. I honestly, I can't, I can't think why I went on it. I think I just was a bit of a narcissist at uni and I thought, yeah, this will be really fun. Um, become a bit of a beanock. And I did not think it would lead to influencing, genuinely. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that that, I didn't know people made money from that. I th thought people just had followers and that was that. I did not get the whole advertising thing. Mm. Um, and I remember actually one of my first episodes, uh, we were filming a scene and when the cameras cut, everyone went to go take pictures of each other. And I was still in that, mindset of that is lame like why are they wanting to yeah. take pictures of each other and you very quickly join the dark side and then you end up becoming taking loads of pictures but I remember not being interested in the Instagram bit at all it just sort of mm. trickled and grew uh, and then I realized you could monetize it and now I love Instagram I find it so fun I like sharing what I'm doing uh, I like creating content but it wasn't I didn't probably use it you get out what you put in. Mm. And I wasn't calculated or clever enough at the time to realize the long-term impact. I was just doing it second year of uni, make a bit of pocket money, have a bit of fun. I guess like- I was naive. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's strange because you you said you weren't really into Instagram, but then like decided to do Made in Chelsea, which is like such a public thing, right? So like, I only want to talk about this for a bit and then talk about the business, but why did you decide to go onto, onto it in the first place? I just thought it would be a fun experience. It would potentially, I didn't know what doors it might open. I'd always watched it through my teen years and um, really enjoyed watching it. So there was a, definitely an element of intrigue. What's it like on the other side? I thought it'd be cool to be on TV. I remember weighing it up for a long time. I think I spent six months from being initially approached to then actually filming. And I would write list after list of pros and cons. Uh, and it was probably, I think it was when actually my best friend's mum, who I thought would just say categorically no, when sod it, you've got nothing to lose, that I just was like, yeah, sod it, nothing to lose. When you look at your life, I guess, in hindsight, because you're you're not a lot older, but you're older than you were when you, when you went on Made in Chelsea. Very. And now that you kind of like weigh it up, um, do you think it was like overall positive experience, negative experience, would you do it again? Yeah, I mean, I don't know life without it. It's hard to say. I think I would 100% do it again. It opened a lot of doors. It's, I, would, I wouldn't be here without it. But it was a stepping stone. I didn't come out with millions of followers. I didn't come out, I wasn't on it. I was on it for about a year and I might have come out with 20,000 followers. It puts your name on a map, a small map of Southwest London, but it puts your name on a map. And I suppose having that slight relevance is helpful. Mm. And also Main Chelsea is, is somewhat clickbait, which is helpful yeah. when trying to get your name out there. But then on the other hand, I think you have always tarnished, not tarnished, that's a negative word, isn't it? But you're always, um, what do they like do spent. to cows? Yeah, um, branded. Branded, yeah. you're always branded with it. I could literally marry Prince George. I wouldn't, he's a bit young, but I could marry Prince George and it would be like Maiden Chelsea's Prince uh, Eliza, Princess yeah. of Wales or whatever. Um, I feel like whatever you end up doing and it, you can do things that become way bigger than Maiden Chelsea, but if an article's ever written, yeah. that's the tagline. Do you like that though? I don't because mind you're, it. You're, you're way more than that now, especially like you're a, you're a founder of a very successful company and it's like, if you're always branded with 
Made in Chelsea star, does it not take away from your successes that you're doing now? I think I wouldn't waste the energy worrying about it. Um, I'm fairly impartial. It doesn't bother me either way. That's a very boring answer. I'm sorry, yeah, I don't yeah. have some sort of angry, I can't, can't provide an angry rant, but no, I don't, I don't mind. At the moment, it still feels very much bigger than me. And I guess um, you've talked about Made in Chelsea, but like now that you're a founder, how does being Made in Chelsea impact you as a founder? I mean, I put Made in Chelsea on our investment deck, so it, it still lingers for sure. Um, I think I was a bit nervous at first that it might seem a bit stereotypical. I think a lot of people come off reality TV and then just create businesses. And why wouldn't you? It makes sense too, but I sort of didn't want it to just be another business that... But then nobody's business is another business because there have been some that are unbelievably successful off the yeah. back of reality TV and not just main Chelsea across the board. But I wanted people to take me seriously and I think there might be a misconception that reality TV founders put, stick their name on it and then don't put the hours in. Yeah. And... Unfortunately, my name is nowhere near big enough to do that. My God, I wish it was. I wish I could just whack Eliza Ratton on it and then just could lie back, put my hands behind my head yeah. and relax. But no, I'm there um, in the office all day, every day. It's a full-time job and some. Yeah, it's, it's, so I guess I, I'm, I hope people don't misconceive that. That would be all. And then growing the business, um, I guess when you're speaking to investors, when you're speaking to other founders, like, would you say there's like a preconception given that you were from Made in Chelsea or no? I think the people I speak to either don't watch it or, I mean, I was on it five years ago, so it's quite a long time ago. I think unless you're watching it at the time and I still remember, I would recognize anyone from it when I used to watch it because it, you just do. Mm. But I don't think I was on it long enough or made a big enough, uh, made enough drama yeah. for enough people to know about yeah. it. So I guess going to the circle now, what's the, what's the mission? What are you trying to do? Obviously you're trying to influence the circular economy, but I guess like the next step, what's, the, what's the, like on the radar? So from the circle's perspective, it's just to keep growing, keep getting more clothes into circulation and keep making people's first choice secondhand. I understand it's not realistic that everyone's gonna just convert their entire wardrobe secondhand. But if people could just check secondhand first before they resort to new, that's fab. And actually, I think there's some, some, some statistic that if everyone just had 20% of their wardrobe secondhand, the impact would be mahusive. Um, and that's not hard. That's really not hard to do at all. No, it's not. And I think it's just for people to be a bit more considerate and responsible with their shopping. So that's from the circles perspective. And then I think in order to make more of an impact, we're starting to try and partner with brands to help them with their circularity, for them to encourage their shoppers to be more circular and also to encourage brands to create clothes that can be recircled because it's all well and good brands jumping on board, but you want to be able to create clothing of enough quality that does stand the test of time. Why don't people shop secondhand? Like what's the, what's the barrier of people doing that? Because a lot of people bash fast fashion, rightly so, but they're still growing. I think there's a few barriers. I think it's typically more time consuming because when you're shopping secondhand, on a, even on a nice website like ours, everything's a one-off. 
So you're scrolling through an awful lot of single units. Therefore, we need to make our filtering really great so that people can filter by their size or by the brand they're after or by uh, event wear or by occasions. But normal secondhand, so when you're on the peer-to-peer platforms, you're looking through images of flat-laid, pixelated pictures. You're not 100% sure on the quality. It feels a bit of a shot in the dark. It's a gamble. There's hustling. There's, you know, uh, bidding and um, offering. And it's just tiring. It's time-consuming. It's an effort. And if you don't like the hunt, and I'm lucky. I love the hunt. I like the hustle. I like trawling through a charity shop for hours to find one diamond in the rough. But if you don't enjoy that and you don't have the time for it, it's so much easier to shop new. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just the the experience as well, as you said. So it's like buying stuff new, it's all, it looks pristine. It lo- it's a very clean experience. And then when you shop secondhand, it's completely the opposite. In like, that's the preconception. So I think what you guys are doing is a very positive move because it creates that still very clean experience, but you know you're shopping secondhand. Yeah, it's a guilt-free luxe experience. So when we look at our platform, we don't compare ourselves to our other competitors per se. We compare ourselves to the Net-A-Porter, to the Outnet, to matches, and they're what we're striving to be. Completely get that. And so I guess there's like two demographics of people. There's the ones that love secondhand and there's ones that I guess you probably have to educate as to why secondhand makes sense and also... I guess, show them what you guys are about. Totally. Um, so I guess like when you're in an industry where you can get those guys fairly easily, I guess the first group, but then the second group is like, how do you educate them? Because buying, you know, new is, a, is something that's so like deeply instilled into how people operate. Without a doubt. And that's something we talk about a lot. We're, there's no point in going after the people that are going to come to us anyway, as just another platform to do their already sustainable shopping habits. Yeah. Uh, but how do we convert new people that would typically shop new to then try secondhand? And I think it's about, I think social media is important with that because if you make it fun and engaging, people buy into it more. And then it's creating the site to feel like you're shopping new because you still want that fix. Like shopping, you get such an endorphin rush and it's slightly addictive. And so we've got to, emulate that and that's how we're that's the tactic we're taking to convert people to new and I think once they've done it once and they see everything's ozone cleaned and odor free and um in perfect condition it's next day delivery it feels no different when they'd shop new also actually when you find the item that is in your size your the brand you're after all that malarkey because it's a one-off it feels a lot more special yeah, it feels unique. I guess it's like, it's just for you. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but the thing is for, for growing a business within the space, mm-hmm. you're, you're battling against, I guess, like the fast fashion guys who a lot of them use very cheap labor. So they have very good margins. So with you guys, like you're hiring models, you're hiring all these different people. So I guess like, what's the challenges that are unique to you as I guess like a, a two, like a marketplace, I guess, but you don't, have that it's more like sustainable yeah totally I mean my co-founder and I always talk about if there were no sellers involved and we could just have the clothes it'd be like perfect business (laughs) but we have to pay out sellers so yeah our margins that we're playing with are a lot smaller 
um, and it is a relatively labor intensive business model. Where my co-founder comes into play is he's a bit of a tech geek. He wouldn't mind me saying that. And so our back end, we're focusing really on making everything really efficient, everything really lean, everything automated as much as we can automated so that the processes are really quick. So that's good. Our processing is really quick. The cost of uploading our items is really small. Uh, and that will help scale the business. And in terms of the modeling and uh, hiring people, we actually use a lot of our team. So it's all sort of in-house. Yeah, you do a lot of it yourself, yeah, I've seen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One day I won't be on the site, but um, yeah, for now. Yeah. The thing is, with um, given that it's your first, it's your first like business, I guess, and you come from a journalistic background, a TV background. Um, and I spoke to you when I, I think you first started the business or maybe a few months in. Yeah, really early. If you were to do it again, I know this is a very open-ended question, but what would you change given the experience that you've had within the last like year and a bit? It's That's a really hard question. I think on a real small scale, I probably wouldn't personally buy all the good things that come in. I would let them go <laughs> and be put on the platform <laughs> because I've got a terrible habit of just siphoning off the bits I like. Uh, but I'm not. As of 2023, um, you're being good. <laughs> I'm being, yeah, business first, not my personal wardrobe. Uh, but from a business perspective, I think maybe we, you'd sort of go down some avenues, maybe in certain areas of marketing that didn't work. So it's more little choices we made that actually didn't get the best return on investment that I'd, I'd just skip. But nothing big, thankfully. We haven't Being done anything hard, rash. Though. Being a founder is very, very hard. Yeah. And actually, it's evolved. My role has evolved so much since I last spoke to you in the past year. And when I was, spoke to you last, I was on the ground, sort of in the trenches, doing the bread and butter, the groundwork of the business. And as we've got more people, now my role is much more managerial and that comes with its own challenges. And sometimes I just want to be back tagging the clothes, shooting the clothes, steaming the clothes. I want to be back on the ground. Um, it seems less stressful in many yeah. ways. I guess what's more, what's harder, being on TV, me and Chelsea, or being a founder? Being a founder? Without a wow. doubt, Main Chelsea was fun. Yes, you get backlash if you say something stupid or if you snog the wrong person, but you're shooting in these incredible locations. I think right now they're filming in Australia for the season. It feels like you're just living free time life and there just happens to be cameras like now. This would be it. We're, this is literally it. And then you'd bugger off for the rest of the day and do whatever you want. It was so fun. I guess like being, being a founder is it's a lot of work that people don't see. So it, it's quite a contrast because it's like with, with Made in Chelsea, like there's cameras everywhere. I guess like there's stuff behind the scenes that people don't see, but with, with being founder, there is a lot that people see and it's maybe 5% of what the reality is. Yeah. So it's like you steaming the clothes, doing all that stuff. You don't really show that stuff. No. Um, It'd be really boring. <laughs> yeah. That's, but like, being a founder, a lot of the time it is quite boring. It's not an easy thing to do. And it's, massively glamorized in 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 the public eye i would say and that's why i guess like i started this podcast as well is to show that it's not as glamorous as people think it's a lot of hard work it's not it's, and it's not for everyone um which is why i find your story very interesting because it was your your first business you must have learned a lot in the in the experience of like what being a founder actually means um 
and I'm really lucky that my I've got two co-founders who are older men and they have this isn't their first business venture and they've been fantastic mentors and I'm lucky to have that support uh which is symbiotic we it goes both ways but nonetheless I couldn't imagine just doing it on my own I'm that seem seems unhinged to me <laughs> when people go off and do it on their own I'm, it's it that's a different gravy so I feel like that team really helps and then now you're like you're getting people in so you're growing the team so I guess how are you finding that actually you know growing the team and being being the leader funnily enough I growing up I was always called bossy and I knew it'd come into fruition somewhere I knew it'd become useful um it's actually a terrible probably quite sexist word actually I don't know of many boys that are called bossy but yeah I think it is um that was genuinely my nickname and I've now managed to hopefully uh, sort of nurture that side of me into a leader um I think I'm quite an empathetic leader I care a lot about how my team are feeling. Um, but leaders are all very different. I also, my team are my age. So it, that's quite hard to straddle, the friendship, but also the work relationship. But I'm really good friends with now all my team. I didn't know any of them before, but now we've all become really good friends. And that in, in my current business, that works because you need good chemistry for everything that we do on camera and social media and also in startups it's a lot of work it's not a lot of financial reward at the beginning at all and so you need to create an environment that people want to come back to and we have a really fun good energy good vibes environment which I'm really lucky for so you think that's a good thing in terms of like building more of a personal relationship with the team even even though I guess on paper you control salary you control you control whether they get fired or not like would you say that's like a, a positive thing for growing the business at first? I think that's the leader I probably always will be, depending on how long I'm a leader for. Um, I think I am just quite a personable person and it, I find it easier to be friends with the people I'm working with. It also is just the case that they are all my age. And so if you didn't, if you weren't friends, then if you didn't get on, it'd be really hard to work together because we work all so closely. But yeah, maybe maybe one day it'll come to bite me in the bottom. We'll see. So when you have when you have a team where I guess you're in an industry in, in the fashion industry where people are I guess more more relaxed and like more personal, um, it's very difficult to actually like have a barrier between them, especially when they're the same age as you. You're so close with them. You're working very closely. You're working more for the people around you rather than for the financial benefit. Mm. So I completely agree with you. At the beginning, it is very difficult to even have that line, if, if you, even if you want to instill it. Yeah, and sometimes I want to be a bit more, what was that? What's Meryl Streep and Devil Wears Prada? As in, I, sometimes I'm like, I maybe I want to be it. someone that walks into a room and everyone goes like, oh, she's here. Oh, right, I see. <laughs> um, but I can't, I'm not, I'm not very scary. But I think it's about having that mutual respect uh being someone that your team feels comfortable to come to if they've got an issue but also not being scared to say actually we're doing this or uh, giving feedback because not everyone will be 
with us at the circle till the end of the circle's journey or till whatever circle's next phase is. Uh, but I want to be able to provide a really good stepping stone to wherever their future endeavor lies. So like for the circle next steps, like what is the whole ambition? Like where do you want to be in like a few years time? I would love to be one of the big main resale platforms in the UK, if not starting to spread further afield. And continue to make it easier for people to make better decisions. That's all it's about. It's just making it, yeah. And and creating a platform where it's just so easy to do it. You almost don't need to educate people because it's fun and easy in its own right. And then I don't mind the reasons why people get into secondhand. I got into secondhand because I could afford clothes I couldn't otherwise afford. It has the same impact. It has the same impact at the end of the day on the environment. So I don't mind. It, I'll, I'll try every which way to get people to shop, shop secondhand. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a huge, as, as we mentioned before, there is a barrier for people shopping secondhand, but I think that is changing. And you do require players such as yourself to, to have that education. But education at scale, how do you do that? I have no idea. <laughs> um, education at scale. Like one or two people, it's, it's easy, right? Like you're just talking to me right now, you're educating me. I understand it. And now I'm more open to shopping secondhand. But things like social media obviously are tools. But I guess how do you make that leap to go from one person to 100 people to 1,000 people to more? I think it's probably a combination of good, clever marketing and creating a service that's so good that people discuss it with their friends. And then that amalgamates naturally. Yeah. yeah. Because, because a, a, lot of, a lot of people listening are going down the road of building a sustainable business, whether it's in circular fashion or eco-friendly solutions or whatever it is, where education is the lifeblood of them growing. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I know a lot of people have this issue is like educating people one-on-one, -on -one, it's very easy, but then educating people at scale is actually very tough. Um, and that if you need that to grow, because that first group that we talked about earlier, they're already sold. They already know the benefits of shopping and the circle is an amazing way for them to do that. But as you said, there may be 5% of people, 95% of people have no idea um, or they have preconceptions of what secondhand or any of these eco-friendly businesses are. So that's the challenge. Totally. So it's like, as you said, yeah, good marketing is probably one of the first things. Yeah, and I think it's a really tricky one with sus sustainable businesses and how and educating because you don't want to be that person with the green placard shoving it in someone's face and just shouting green propaganda down yeah, their throat. Like yeah. you don't want to be that guy. Um, so I'm going a bit more down the route of just creating that fun service that people just want to get involved with, whether they recycle their milk bottles or not. It's a hard one. So when it comes to the marketing side of things, like how do you, how do you have that balance of like showing people the benefits of secondhand, but also not shoving it down their throats? At the moment, and you know, we're a year in, so it's early doors. At the moment, we're just focusing on fun engaging content that converts sales so showing our best bits um highlighting all the best new pieces in stock showing uh, we're going a lot down the route of like it, you're getting all these brands at discount and particularly in today's climate people have slightly less disposable income and so it's a great way to save a bit of money but also have new to you clothes yeah, yeah. 
But the education side is something that will come at probably the next phase. It's just not the... It's a, it's totally a combination. It's finding that balance. Yeah, for sure. And I've I've seen people like... That's the, that's the thing that people struggle with, I guess. Like when it comes to building an eco-friendly business. Like my, my business before was around food redistribution and surplus food. And a lot of businesses, it would be to be, a lot of businesses got it immediately. Whereas other businesses kind of like didn't really understand it. And like one-on-one, -on -one, I found it very easy to, to educate them. But then at scale, it was like, I can't just go around every single shop and like, or restaurant or, or whatever, and talk to them about surplus food because it's just so tough. So, and if, if you're B2C, that's even more challenging. Mm. So, but I, I agree. Like, I think it is getting the people on the peripherals. So like the people that love secondhand and then the people that don't mind it, but like the experience right now is a bit clunky and a bit unclean, showing them a new experience. And then I think they just basically will convert the people like around them. And also it's not just, it's sort of a team effort. Like all the other platforms we are in many ways working yeah, together. It's, just, it's not just you. So this is, the, this is the other thing that I love about like sustainable businesses is that the competition isn't as, I guess, intense because you all recognize that you're all kind of um, in it for the same thing. Totally. You're, you're, you're educating together and the more of you there are, the better it actually is for the long term. Definitely. You want other players to create then a mature market. At the moment, secondhand fashion is in so much its infancy that it's not making a big enough impact. And we need lots of other players to come through and create epic services yeah. in order to make the impact. Mm. So yeah, it's it makes that, that side of it then is really fun because then you can be each other's friend rather than foe. Yeah, because it's like, you're not really competing with them. You're competing with the likes of like Zara, H&M. Totally. Like, you're not, yeah, but exactly. that's, what I don't, that's what I don't really see. It's like, I don't really understand you trying to outcompete other like sustainable fashion brands when, you know, there's a, there's a big, you know, Goliath, like Zara, that like you're the ones that should be competing with them. And it's like, if you're fighting amongst each other, you're missing the point. And it's, as a, a shopper, if you're shopping new, you don't just shop at Zara. Mm. It, you're not unanimous to just Zara. You would shop at Zara, you'd shop at H&M, you'd shop at, I've sort of forgotten the high street now, Pull and Bear, I don't know. Um, so that's the same with secondhand shopping. I probably out of my secondhand shopping, do 90% of the circle, but 10% I'll trawl other sites and yeah. find little good bits. And I'm extremely biased. So normal secondhand shoppers would definitely divide and conquer. Eliza, we're gonna stop it there, but it's been such a pleasure talking no, to you. No, and you. Like seeing you mature as well as, as a founder that you know, like a year and a bit in is, is an amazing thing to see, so. I know, I'd love to actually watch back my first chat. It's probably like this, like a little puppy. And by the next <laughs> year, I'll be out. like. <laughs> Like, oh, I'm so tired of this. This <laughs> yeah. is awful. <laughs> I'll be totally grey as well. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having and, me. Uh, I'm sure we'll speak very soon. Thank you.